Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie. And we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. Hello and welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and this week we're going to sit down with our co-host, producer, and of course best friend, Matt Kelly, as he tells us all about Dracula. Uh, 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 uh. To entertain you, we'll sing your songs for good times, the best times. You can't go wrong. We'll two step a new step. It won't be long. When the Dixieland is up playing, soon you'll be swaying. So come on, sing along. All right, Gelsey, I'm going to be the teacher today, uh, which is super exciting. So I'm a horror movie fan, as listeners probably know. There's a new horror movie. Well, not this is barely a horror movie, but there's a film in theaters right now called Renfield. Can't wait. I'm very excited, uh, in which Nicolas Cage plays Dracula. Which Nick Cage is making like a comeback right now. I absolutely loved um, the unbearable weight of massive talent. There we go. There we go. Um, I um, loved it, but I'm also a Pedro Pascal like hard hardcore fan. So um, I it was such a great movie though. I had so, like it, it was so much better than I, I still expected. haven't seen it. Everyone it's, keeps telling me that I would love it. You so. would you would love it. It yeah, is one of those so. movies that the movie is about the movie kind of a, yeah whatever yeah it's great but. Nick Cage is playing Dracula. So let's talk a little bit about the history of Dracula, why don't we? I love that idea. Briefly touched on, I'm pretty sure we've done an episode on Nosferatu. Yes, it feels we did. like we did. We definitely did. All right. So so we'll definitely like kind of glaze a little bit past the Nosferatu stuff. But let's start all the way in the beginning. Uh, the novel Dracula was written by 
Bram Stoker. Uh, he wrote it throughout the 1890s, and it was finally published in 1897. So it took him about seven-ish years to write this this novel. Um, in the time that he was writing it, to prepare for the novel, Stoker produced over 100 pages of notes about Transylvanian folklore and history. Uh, while it is widely believed that Dracula is inspired by Vlad the Impaler or Elizabeth Bathory, neither one of those names appear anywhere in those hundred pages of notes. I, so it's more likely than not that he probably didn't even know who those people were. But mm-hmm. as we learned more about history, said, ooh, these people sound like Dracula. <laughs> and we we kind of created that We narrative. do that a lot. We, we have a tendency to do that, yes. Now, the book was written... Have you ever read the, the actual novel of Dracula? No, I actually haven't. Yeah, I've only... Frankenstein is like my original novel that I hold on to, but not, not Dracula. So Dracula is interesting because the book is not a traditional narrative. Have you ever read Carrie by Stephen King, per chance? No, I've never read any Stephen King books. Okay, well, the only reason I'm bringing that up is Carrie follows a similar writing format which the the entire novel of dracula is all told through notes diary entries and newspaper articles so there's not like a actual narrator telling the story but you're hearing the story from different perspectives in the collection of letters and newspaper clippings and notes that's kind of cool the novel also because of this lacks a singular protagonist so the first couple Chapters follow Jonathan Harkin as he's about to stay at the castle of a Transylvanian nobleman, Count Dracula, only to discover that Dracula is a vampire in which he escapes the castle. It's at that point that Dracula then relocates to England um, and plagues a seaside town named Whitby. Uh, and a small group led by Van Helsing decide to hunt down and kill Dracula. Now, you might be thinking... But Matt, where's Renfield in all of this? That is my question. (laughs) Renfield's my favorite. In the novel, Renfield is a much more minor character. He's still Mm. there, but the character of Renfield is introduced as a patient in an insane asylum Mm. who eats living creatures with the belief that eating them will give him more life force. Um, And Dracula plagues on his insanity, promising him eternal life if... Renfield will invite him into the insane asylum where he knows all the vampire hunters are Because you have to be invited in as a vampire. Yes. I know that from uh, a little side note. I don't know if you watch What We Do in the Shadows. Have we talked about? Yes. Okay, that's... What We Do in the Shadows is One of my favorite shows. Have you seen the movie version? Yeah. You know, a long time ago, when it came out, I did, and I, I haven't seen it since, and I need to watch it, but my dad and I got into the show and it's now like yeah. our favorite thing. I it's, the, oh God, it's I so think good. the show ultimately is better than the movie. I do too. But the movie but the movie has probably one of my favorite jokes tied to the idea of you have to be invited in, which is uh, a scene in which they're trying to get into a bunch of clubs, but they're trying to get the doorman to invite them into the club. So the Renfield character that we know and love, it wasn't until the nineteen thirty one film where they combined Jonathan Harkin's half of the book mm. as becoming an origin story for Renfield. Because mm-hmm. after Jonathan Harkin escapes, he's Out done the in the novel. So they kind of took that he doesn't escape when he's Renfield, but instead becomes a minion of Dracula sent to, to England. Or familiar. Is that what they're called? They're yeah, like- a familiar. Perfect. Exactly. Yes. So 
the book itself was a critical success for the most part. Um, critics said that they loved the effective use of horror and tension, but uh, the few critics who disliked it said that they felt like it was too excessively frightening, um, which is such a great way <laughs> to get a negative review. That's what people tell me after dates. They're all, hey, this isn't going to work out. You are too excessively frightening. I was all, ugh. I think we touched on this a little bit on the Nosferatu episode, but yeah. it does bear worth mentioning. There have been a lot of really interesting analysis of like what are the themes of the book. Um, but the end result is that the two major themes are seduction and sexuality. The sexuality part comes in by, and this was new information to me. I thought this was fascinating. It, it has been widely assumed that Bram Stoker was gay. And he began writing the novel just a few weeks after his friend Oscar Wilde was imprisoned for homosexuality. Mm. So it's widely believed that that type of like witch hunt atmosphere kind of inspired the idea of this person being seen as a menace and a plague on mm -hmm. society kind of built in that character. Mm -hmm. um, the name Dracula, this made me laugh, the name Dracula actually came from um, when Stoker mistakenly thought that it meant devil in Romanian. I couldn't find out what it actually translates Wrong. to, but <laughs> it's it's not devil. <laughs> so that is the story there. Um, now, there have been multiple adaptations of Dracula. Multiple. Um, so the first one that I was able to pull up was a stage show, that there was a stage play in 1924 called Dracula. Obviously, Nosferatu was a couple years before that, but that's mm -hmm. Nosferatu. That's not Dracula. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally different. Totally different. Completely different. Yeah. Did you know that there have been multiple Dracula musicals throughout the decades? What? Wait, there's actually Dracula musical. Woo! Dracula so, musical. So I didn't write down every single one of the names, but starting in 1965 with the comedy Dracula Dearest. Okay. Uh, all the way up to as recently as 2001's Dracula the Musical. I think I did um, know that 2000. I that sounds familiar. Now that you're saying that, I'm like, yeah. But wasn't that uh, one serious? I, I think yes, one of them that was, was actually an like actual like a, serious one. Not yeah. opera, but like kind of oh Dracula. Well, get out. It's funny you say that because he has been adapted into an opera before, Duh. as well as a ballet. Um, yes, that's right. I did know there was a ballet. You're saying these. See, an opera like an opera of Dracula makes sense. Yes, it like, actually does. That, when I there's can see a lot it of things, kind of have that Phantom of the Opera like set design, but it's like actually an opera and it's like scary. But a, a musical, I'm like, go home, get out. Well, I think I I remember as a kid very incorrectly being told what an opera was, right? What because did you think like, it was? well, the way that it was explained to me was like a musical has dialogue, but the opera is all singing, like all singing and all music. And that was like kind of pitched to us as the only distinction. But I'm realizing as I get older, like, no, there is a very distinct musical style that is opera. Because by that definition, technically Hamilton is an opera then. Because there's almost no dialogue well, that in it. is, It's it, all music. Those are called rock operas. So it is, that's okay. like Rent, <clears throat> Phantom of the Opera, Hamilton, and those are operas. There, there is okay. a subgenre of operas because there is no talking. So it that is accurate. Okay, cool. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure because I, I'm like, oh well, then I, I actually did hear someone once refer to Hamilton as hip opera, which I think is fucking brilliant. 
that so much. Uh, so let's talk about the movies, though. We already covered Nosferatu in 1922. The most famous one is obviously the 1931 Universal Classic from Todd Browning. Yeah. Right? Did you know that while they were filming that movie, they were also filming a Spanish version of that movie? No. On the same sets with the same costumes? Really? Yes. So in the early days of sound films, it was common for Hollywood studios to produce a foreign language version of their films using the same sets and costumes and so on. Browning would film during the day, and then at night, a different director would come in and reuse the sets to film a Spanish language version of Dracula. Um, The film was actually thought lost for a really long time until a print was discovered in the 70s but large sections of that film had rotted away. Then in the 90s, they found a perfect copy in Cuba. And that copy that they found in Cuba has since been preserved in the National Film Registry and Library of Congress. Um, If you, in the uh, DVD boom of the 2000s, there were these awesome, like, hard book green universal DVDs that they would put out. Um, And I have the whole set. It would be like... Creature from the Black Lagoon, Wolfman, Frankenstein, and it would mm-hmm. be this like five disc set of every Universal film featuring those characters. Mm-hmm. And that DVD for Dracula comes with the Spanish language version of the movie as well, which is a good like twenty minutes longer. I was just going to ask, like, is it really the that much different? Because like the story's the same, the sets the same. It's it's not like they just replicated the exact movie and just said English. No, Spanish. they it's- they definitely took their own liberties with it, but it's. I mean, I obviously prefer the Todd Browning one, but it is undeniable that the Spanish language one is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Also, there was a third silent version of the movie that was released since at 1931, there still hadn't been a widely wired sound theater everywhere. So they took the Todd Browning film and added the the title cards to Mm -hmm. keep people on track on what was going on. Um, those Universal films then obviously spawned into a whole franchise of films throughout the 40s and 50s. And then it just gets none out of, of which, yeah, well, and none of which are really connected to yeah. each other in a strong way. Like, like there's Son of Dracula, the Dracula's daughter. But I do want to bring up because I, I do think that this is kind of cool, right? We're acting like the MCU and the DCU is this brand new idea of like characters from different movies combining. But Universal was doing this back in the 40s with films like House of Frankenstein and The House of Dracula, where you had these classic Universal characters of the Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein all being in a film together. And you'd mm-hmm. get Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and, and stuff like that. So I do. And then in the 60s, we get them cool. all together in um, the cult classic Scooby Doo. They yes. All... <laughs> well, I didn't even write down all the animated stuff because boy, has Dracula been animated a lot. Don't forget um, Count you know, Chocula. I mean, <clears throat> Count Chocula comes up um, in the 2000s. We got a Dracula puppet musical in the masterpiece film Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> Did you have it all queued up knowing that I would reference this at this, some point? This used to be my ringtone. <laughs> like. 12 years ago probably it's so good it's yeah that it's back when i had the chocolate slide phone the one that like it was a teal and slid open with like the circle that you could like rotate around when i had that phone dracula the musical was my ringtone 
as the Universal franchise started to die down in the 50s, there was a whole second massive Dracula franchise. Do you know what franchise I'm speaking of? No. So oh, the Hammer Van Films. Wait, no, that. No, that. So that in was like the our 50s, generation. Were, I know. That's why I was like, no, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> in Europe, there was a studio called Hammer that at the time was doing a lot of period pieces and cheap science fiction movies. But in the late 50s, they started producing adaptations of classic gothic horror films like Dracula and Frankenstein. Um, And these were the films that introduced the world to people like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing Mm. um, playing the respected characters. Uh, I would actually go as far to argue that Christopher Lee might be the second most famous person to play Dracula um, just because he had a look, man. I'm see you googling it, but yeah, yeah you'll see do, like, like Christopher sh- Lee's Dracula appearance is very yes, iconic and of course <laughs> and spot on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the '70s ended, and so did Dracula in pop culture a little bit. He would pop up in like meta stuff. I I grew up loving him in The Monster Squad, one of my favorite movies as a kid. But like Dracula, kind of was reserved to, like we said, Count Chocula and kids' cartoons. Uh, and uh, 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 uh. Yeah, exactly. It was the the Count on Sesame Street. Like, Dracula had kind of disappeared until 1992 oh, okay. when Francis Ford Coppola made Bram Stoker's Dracula, mm-hmm. which gave us the Gary Ullman performance of Dracula, but more importantly to the listeners, directly led... To Gelsey and Matt's favorite person to play Dracula, which is of course Leslie Nielsen. No one Dracula, does it better. He it. is the cl- he is Dracula. <laughs> the best Dracula adaptation is 1995 Mel Brooks Dracula Dead and Loving It. That's actually the my only really like knowledge of Dracula is that that's the only <laughs> full Dracula movie I have watched, and well, I'm going to keep it that way because if I'm going to sit and watch Dracula, I'm going to put that one on. I think that that is probably a good call. You could watch. So let me tell you a little story. I remember watching The Graduate for the first Mm -hmm. time in a college film class. Mm -hmm. And I really had to work hard to stifle my laughter. Not because The Graduate was this like laugh out loud funny movie. But as I was watching it, I kept realizing what the jokes were in so many film, yeah. films that I watched that it paid homage to The yeah, Graduate. Yeah, that is true. That's So I think you would at least enjoy watching the 1931 original because I think you would just be like, oh, I get why they said that line in Dracula Dead, Dead and Loving lo- It yeah, that no, way I now. I do know <laughs> that'll make it funnier. Like knowing, yeah. knowing the originals does make it funnier and but no, you do it, not need to watch the entire. You can just you can deal with that eighty minute black and white version at one time, and then would love you're it. good. I have I have yeah. wanted to watch that um, just in general, but no, I I love Dracula Dead and Loving It. There's no denying I could quote that movie frontwards and backwards. Well, there is one other type of Dracula film adaptation that I'm going to briefly mention, but people are going to have to sit through a couple ads before we get there. Oh no, not adverts. Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. 
We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie. And we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. I'm Kyle Kukta, director of The Wound Within and co-host of Horror Movie Night Podcast. And I'm Jeanette Wall, writer of The Wound Within and host of the Horrors of Love Podcast. And we are currently crowdfunding on Seed and Spark to bring this short horror film to life. A young woman discovers a mysterious lesion on her chest the morning after a disappointing tryst with a new lover. Throughout the rest of her day, she finds that she might not be the only one who's experiencing these unsightly symptoms. Incentives include opportunities to be part of our podcasts, behind-the-scenes photo books, original soundtrack cassette, and more. To contribute and make this film a reality, go to seedandspark.com and search The Wound Within. So, Gelsey, are you a fan of the rap group salt and Pepper? Fuck yeah. All right, well then, let's talk about sex, because did you know that there were multiple Dracula pornographic films that were made? <laughs> that was your lead-in? How long did it take you to come up? Were you, like, working on that all week? You're like, all right, I want to lead <laughs> nope, to this. Nope, that sprung to me just a second ago. I like but, it. I like it. <laughs> but, yes, there have been multiple pornographic films based on Dracula, and I'm only I bringing wanna, this up. I want to see them. Well... There's one that, according to a single unsighted source on Wikipedia, is a very historical thing, which is 1969's Dracula and the Boys, which is the first ever homosexual vampire in film history. So we've got that going. Oh, that's interesting. Because, I mean, that does lead to, like, what we know of, like, more Anne Rice vampires. They're, They're not hetero or homo. They're just, like, very sexual creatures that... And especially, yeah. I know Lestat is supposed to be, if you, um, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I was like, huh, <laughs> go figure. But, Gelsey, I just yeah, these rattled are some old, off. These are some vintage, po- I'm like literally looking. At- yeah, you're looking it up. It's, I am. They, it's like, a lot of 60s this. and 70s. Yeah, it's a lot of 60s and oh, 70s no one ever looks at my sure. cookies. Like, if people just look at my search <laughs> history ever, they're going to be like, this sick chick. Because, uh, anyways, <laughs> But, you know, I've been chatting your ear off with all this different Dracula factoids in history. And I know that you've told us that basically your knowledge starts and ends with Dracula dead and loving it. But it is worth asking, what are what are some other... Is there anything else that you connect with Dracula? Yeah, um, I have a really crude joke. Oh, boy. Strapping in. <laughs> what does Dracula say when he finds a bloody tampon? Oh, no. <laughs> Tea time! Okay, so... <laughs> Listeners, you didn't even get to see the little hand motions that she was doing. I was like a little teabag in and out, like yeah. I I think they could have concluded. Um, (laughs) That's. I will. 
I will say my one controversial Dracula thing, which is like, obviously there's been hundreds of people who have played Dracula throughout the history of film, but I actually think the scariest and also my favorite performance, and it could be because I was five when I saw the movie, but is the performance of Dracula in the movie Monster Squad. Uh, I'm Mm. not sure if you've ever actually seen this film from the 80s or not. Uh, You would probably like it. It's like the Goonies meets the Universal Monsters. So it's a group of kids who are obsessed with monsters, and one day they find Van Helsing's journal, and they realize that according to Van Helsing's journal, in just a couple days will be the one day where evil has a chance to rule unless they perform this very specific like magic spell to lock them up for another hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool in it. They befriend Frankenstein. Cause obviously if one of those monsters is going to turn to good, it's, it's going to be, be Frankenstein, Frankenstein. which we all know it's my favorite. So he just wants to be loved. And there's a scene where she has to read the spell because they need a, a female virgin to read it. And obviously the six year olds a pretty good guarantee. I'm glad that that's what they go for. I hate when they like, do like the teenager that you're like, you're kind of old and they look too cool. And they're yeah. like the virgin lit the candle. And I'm like, you've fooled around. Don't lie to us. Yeah. So she's reading, she's reading the incantation as this actor who plays Dracula walks right up to her and he grabs her by her face and lifts her up in the air and then just yells, give me the amulet you bitch. And then bears his teeth in front of her. And I've been honored to be in a documentary about the making of Monster Squad for my hardcore fandom. And I've gotten to meet most of the cast and the little girl who's now, you know, almost 40 um, told me that, yeah, they didn't let me see him in makeup. So when I start screaming, (laughs) like it's because they filmed the very first time that he opened his eyes and I saw the full teeth and eyes and everything of him like Dracula. And that was my my literal fear and panic as a child and seeing that face. I love face. when they do that shit. That's like when they're like, this was a real reaction. That's like, um, this yeah. is a random side note, but you know, in The Exorcist, the first time she starts having like crazy fits and she's going back and forth, like flopping yeah. and she's like, mother, this. They built this like corset thing they put on her in wood and had strings and they were literally pulling her back and forth like that. And that was actually her screaming begging them to stop because it was hurting her so badly so when she's saying like make it stop yeah. make it stop that's all real that's so fucked up no well, that's great i think that's <laughs> similar i mean this is the 70s because i think similarly the the woman who gets attacked by jaws in the first scene is also screaming in a lot of pain because they had that some like I've it was heard. like a contraption attached yes. to her that was pulling her under over and over again. Yeah. And she was like, like having panic attacks and and like it felt like she was gonna drown. But anything man, does that make that scene terrifying? <laughs> like I, absolutely. Yeah, I know. And it's like now when you know like those things are like actually real, you're just like, oh my God, it's Yeah. It's very unsettling. But What's even more unsettling is if you don't leave us some type of review or contact us, Galsy, what's the best way for them to let us know that they like our show? Yeah, let us know on Instagram. You can find <laughs> us at Before My Time underscore podcast or on Facebook. Just search Before My Time. We will pop up right on our wall. DM us right on our latest post. You can also leave us a five star review right here, wherever you're listening to this podcast. It would help us out a lot and get us into more ears of new listeners just like yourself we thank each and every one of you for tuning in every week and can't wait to bring you more random shit bye
Hi listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the Fem Fam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie. And we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 